Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. Hopefully you are a returning guest and if not, you are a first timer, which I am also very excited about because I love seeing this podcast grow and also because you are in for a treat. Because for episode 29, we have an amazing story, an amazing guest in the name of Aaron Volpatti and I've, I've coined this episode, The Power of Possibility, because... We all have different paths to the NHL, and Aaron's is an amazing one to chronicle because at 17 years old, Aaron Volpatti wasn't dreaming of the NHL. He was trying to make the Revelstoke Grizzlies, his local junior B hockey team. So in his NHL draft year, Aaron was living at home, graduating from high school, and hanging out with his buddies. He had his sights set on hopefully making the Vernon Vipers of the BCHL as an 18-year-old. I find this remarkable because this is so different than the story of myself personally and also many of the guests we've had on. But the thing is, Volpatti ended up wearing the jersey of the Vancouver Canucks and the Washington Capitals, played over 100 games in the NHL. However, after seeing Aaron score only seven goals in his first 112 games in the BCHL, you probably wouldn't have made that bet, and neither would have Aaron, quite honestly. But as we have heard before in this podcast, Aaron's greatest adversity turned out to be his life's greatest gifts. And at the conclusion of his second season with the Vernon Vipers, that adversity struck as Aaron was involved in an awful accident at a team bush party that left him with second and third degree burns to over 40% of his body, if you can imagine that. He was told by the doctors he would probably never play hockey again. But after one phone call, and we'll get into who that phone call was from and why it was so impactful for Aaron, but Aaron made some other plans. And he thought... He knew, he said to himself, he was going to be in the lineup for the season opener come September. And after six weeks in hospital, four weeks in a wheelchair, another month unable to walk, and two more major setbacks, kidney stones, and an appendicitis, Aaron was dressed to play on opening night. (laughs) He willed it to happen. And during that process, he proved to himself that he could accomplish anything. He grew his resilience, his confidence, and his mindset. This is a phenomenal interview, and... There's so many things we discussed, but some of the highlights for me was, you know, that we discussed the possibilities that arise for ourselves when we know or either we assume that we generally only operate at about 40% of our capabilities. Like what actually are we capable of if that's our baseline? We also discussed the perspective shift Aaron made that changed the meaning of the physical pain he was feeling during his recovery, which gave him renewed mental strength and his ability and enabled him to recover faster. We talk about how having big dreams requires us to explore and change the personal standards we set for ourselves and how important that is. Uh, We talk about how Aaron used visualization to prepare himself for playing in the NHL at a time when Aaron never even had a pro contract. We also talk about how Aaron used deliberate practice at 24 years old to really reinvent himself as a hockey player and to become a guy who scored more goals and points in his senior year at Brown University than he did in his previous three seasons combined. Big, big move there. 
So Aaron Volpatti, he earned his way into the greatest league in the world. He used adversity as opportunity to grow and to compete and to overcome, to grow his confidence. He had clear visions for what he wanted to accomplish, and he had a plan for how he was going to make that happen. And Aaron was prepared to do things that others were not willing to do. Aaron's story simply is one of possibility, one of evolution, and one you will find very inspiring, I'm sure. So without further ado, I bring you my interview with Aaron Volpatti. Okay, here we are. Welcome to, geez, what is it now? Episode 29 with Aaron Volpatti. Uh, Aaron, pleasure to have you on the program. Awesome to see you, even with the no blinds in your apartment there. Uh, <laughs> looks like you're ready to go. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. No problem. Yeah, we, um, Aaron and I know each other from Vernon, because um, that's where you were coming back to for, for, for a while. I mean, your your junior hockey was there with the Vipers. And then obviously went on to the NHL, and so we've we've crossed paths a few times. But uh, Aaron, for those who are just uh, tuning in here and watching, I think you have a really super cool story. Uh, and I don't know how how much you've talked about it, if at all. But just um, you know your path, and that's kind of what this program is really about. Is like everyone's got such a different path, and what hockey takes them, where hockey takes them, yeah. is a lot of times unknown, right? And like, we don't know, and we, there, there's no there's no one set map for everybody, and I think that your story is really, really interesting, and that's kind of where I would want to start, if, if that's all right. Like, you growing up in Revelstoke, yeah. and I said, remember you, you said uh, you had some cool stories from there, so t- tell us about Revelstoke, and you play minor hockey, and you're, I mean, how you got introduced to the game, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, like a lot of us, I was introduced at a really young age. I think I was three or four by the time I was playing hockey. Um, Revelstoke is is a great little town. I don't know if a lot of your listeners, and I'm sure you've been there the odd time. Probably not for hockey. I don't think we had any AAA teams when I was there. But uh, <laughs> it's a great, it's a lot different now with the ski hill. Um, so it was great. Like I did a lot of mountain biking, skiing, baseball, soccer, everything that you know, spend a lot of time outdoors. My family lives like we live right downtown. So um, it was good when I was sneaking home from the bar when I was of age. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's just a great little town. And now it's just been injected with all this young, um, young people from all over the world coming and spending time there, which has been great. And uh, but yeah, growing up there was, oh, it was it was amazing with all the snow and the you know, we'd go up the mountain, snowmobile, and play hockey, play pond hockey, like all the things you could imagine. So, when were you like? So, so you said you started playing at rank four. Like, when did when did it become a thing for you? Like, was there ever a point for for you where it was like, this is what I want to do, or this is this is what I want this to take me somewhere? Yeah, I, to be honest, I never pro hockey was never on my radar. Like, it was on my radar maybe when I was twenty three. Like when I was in college, like I was never really that good. Like I was the best player in Revelstoke for my age, but you know, that it's a tiny town. Right. So mm-hmm. what I wanted, like for me, what I worked well, worked well was just setting like little goals, right? Like, yeah, everyone wants to play in the NHL, but like, I wasn't like yourself, like a top prospect for me. It was, you know, Oh, I'd really love to play for the junior, the Revelstoke Grizzlies. And then, from there, it was like, oh, I'm going to try and play for the Vipers. Like, that's my goal. And then 
I mean, when I was going in, when I was in high school, um, and I was like junior hockey was on my radar. I really wanted to get a scholarship. So that was like my, that was my NHL. Like if I did that, I achieved my goal. And so all the rest was just bonus after that. Right. And, I mean, we'll, we'll get into like how I was able to do that. Um, with like, I know you're big with the mindset. Like that was so huge for me. Like what I went through and like having that mindset because of all that. So that really helped. Um, but yeah, right. so well, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back, Aaron. Because like, so you, you're playing hockey in Revelstoke. You said you're 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 rolling around. You know, you're doing your thing. You're being an athlete. You're playing hockey when hockey's available. You're the best player in Revelstoke. You said Revelstoke didn't really have uh, much of a. There wasn't a triple A program there. Maybe double A might. have. I mean, I don't know what was it. Double A or, or I, A hockey? I, you were playing? I played house hockey when I was like 14. Like, right. <laughs> we didn't have enough players, so we had to play house. So I went from hitting and like that was my game was skating and hitting. So I went from hitting. I don't know what you can hit now with the ages, but it's later, right? Like we could hit at, I don't even know, like 10, like it was right. early. And uh, so I've been hitting all these years and like, you know, just crushing kids. And then I turned 14 and go to house and you can't hit. And I'm like, what? you know, it was just crazy. But that is not so yeah. So you're playing house hockey at 14. And that's just, I think that's so compelling too. I mean, and there's other stories out there like you I mean i think ed jovanovsky who was my draft year didn't start playing till like 12 or something yeah. ridiculous you know um yeah but we do get caught up in it right now you know i mean and i'm a you're a new dad yourself and i don't know if your yeah. boy's going to be playing hockey but uh you know i got three boys in it and we kind of we can get caught up in where they are and what you know what what's going on and oh, who's the sure. coach and is it the opposite is it the optimal spot and um it's just good to hear stuff like that, you know, that it's like, you know what, like we can, we can all take a breath, right? Like yeah. it's not, it's not that big of a deal for the parents out there listening. Of course we want to have our kid in a, in an environment that's suitable, but you know, it's not like house hockey at 14 in your say, case didn't stop you from, yeah. from not only getting a scholarship, but it also didn't stop you from getting to the NHL. So like, that's pretty wild that that's even part of your story. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we could have a discussion on that um like the parenting with a young athlete for a long long time um i think it sometimes helps when you've played the game to know that sometimes it's better to take a step back and let you know guide the children and like i'm not here to give advice on parenting but like i i know what i will do is like if you really want to play like great like let's go out and play and let's give you the resources to do it but at the end of the day those kids got to make that decision themselves if they really want something then they got to go do it right yeah um and that's exactly no, your point space, i think like sorry to cut you off there but like no i think that's such an interesting point is one they have to want to do it but two they have to be allowed the space to figure out if they want to do it on their own you know yeah, what i mean right. like of their own volition with their own agency yeah. involved right because it's so guided now yeah. and that's one thing that i that i find um, is allowing, like, I'm trying to allow my boys the space to ask me when right. they can go to the ice, right? Like, when is, yeah. like, when can I, like, where's this hockey camp? Like, I'm having them look into stuff because I think, right. for me, I think that's important, right? Because when it's just force-fed, even though you know they like hockey, if I was just to line up session after session and skill thing and dry, you know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah. it, it becomes not part of their DNA. It's my DNA, right? So, right. like, I try and allow them the space of, like, hey, Dad, we want to, like, my boys like doing some dry land, right? But it's not me all yeah. the time saying, let's go do right. dry land. Like, we're going to run stairs today? And I, and I like that, right? I like them having 
having yeah. coming up with allowing them the space to be able to do that. Um, no, because totally it is funny. I mean, everything now is so it's it's just so structured, right? Like yeah. I'm sure you can attest to this. Like growing up and just having like whether you're on the pond or whether you're at oh, a yeah. free skate or whatever, where no, there was no adults there telling you what to do or how you were supposed to play or who was going to make the teams yeah. up or how is it fair? Or, you know, I mean, you just figured it out. And yeah. now I find like when kids are in that environment, they're almost like looking around and like, now what? You know, like yeah. no one's got yeah. a whistle. No one's telling me what to do, you know? Yeah, it's important for them to have that free play, I guess is what it's called, right? When they, because when we are with them, it's like they're they're doing this or they're playing that, but there's still rules just by default that we're there right so it's yeah. important for them to be free and um but yeah and like to your point with like you know raising the kids i, I don't know if we're getting off topic here but like you got to remember that your kid's not you and like i have to remind myself of that a lot too he's four only my son so i'm like i'm like you want to play hockey he's like yeah and then i signed him up last year and he's scared of the zamboni so we never went and i'm like whatever dude like i don't care like you're so young um and like i don't you want it for them, but do they want that? You know, like, so you got to remind yourself. Um, sorry, if that's a bit too loud, I can go in with this trucks driving by, but. No, I, I can't hear it. I think everyone's okay. here, hearing well. Um, yeah, so anyways, it's, I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but yeah, it's, uh, to, to go back to your point, like growing up in Revelstoke, my parents were like a huge part of, it, you know, that's a, that was the beauty of growing up in a small town. It's like, you get home from school, it's like, here's four hours, like, be home at this time, like, don't care where you are. And we would just be out in wherever, in the woods and exploring. Yeah. And I think that was, like, that was great for me, like, just more as a person. But even yeah. with the hockey, like, we'd go grab our stuff and we'd go out to a pond and or play road hockey, like, you know. Yeah. So No, I love yeah. that stuff. I love it. We're, we're, we're fortunate where we're at here. Um just because I don't know. I mean, I, I think we get force fed all this media, like the, the fear, the, the fear is high in parents, right? Like of if yeah. anything could go wrong, you know, which I understand, but I think we got to balance that a little bit. And we're actually in a good, good community where we can, you know, the kids can go out and they can go to a store yeah. and we're not really too, too worried about them. So I, I do think that freedom there is important too. But okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get back to you <laughs> getting, um, did you mentioned the Revelstoke Grizzlies, which is the junior B program, correct? Yeah, yeah. Did you play? Did you end up playing with them before you were in Vernon? Did you did you reach that goal? I did, yeah. So I played there like AP is what I don't they still call it AP, but yeah. um yeah, I AP'd my when I was 16 there. And then it was a bit of a, a tough decision. Like Vernon was so stacked then, as they were all always, it seemed like, but um, that would have been 2002, I think they had a really good team. And then they wanted me to come there for my grade 12 year. And, uh, but you know, they laid Vandekamp laid it out for me and, and the management was just like, you know, we want you to come here. Like you may not play every game. Like we have a really good team. We'll kind of reassess it at Christmas. And, you know, I just remember talking with my, with my parents and I'm like, they were affiliated with Grand Forks at the time. And I'm like, I really don't want to like be in Grand Forks my grade 12 year. Like, so I just ultimately we decided just to go back my grade 12 year to Revelstoke. I went to Vernon's camp and, you know, still they're like, we want you as our kind of like 12th, 13th forward. And 
I just, you know, I, it was a good decision because I think it was the right one. I went back to Revelstoke. I graduated with all my buddies, played first line on the Grizzlies, you know, got in the odd scrap and got my feet wet for what I would need to do later down the road. And mm-hmm. so, and, you know, you get that confidence too, right? When you, when you're playing those minutes. And um, so, yeah, ultimately that gratitude. Uh, back home in Revelstoke with all my buddies played for the Grizzlies and then went to Vernon the next year. So um, that's why played yeah, a so year and a half, two years. Like you're saying, that was technically, and I'm just like <clears throat> looking at our past differently. So you're like your grad year, which was also then would be your draft year. Right. Oh, which, yeah. Like totally different past. Like, right. Which wasn't even on the radar then. I mean, you were trying oh, to make Vernon, right? Like you were, you were in Revelstoke doing your thing, graduating. Yeah. yeah. That's so nuts. And then like, which I love too is, and you played 114 games and I played 41. Like that's like, that is cool in and of itself as well. Like it's everyone, everyone has a different way to get there. And we're yeah. some people just, I haven't mentioned it yet, but I, we are live right now. So though, for those who listen later, um, in my Facebook group, which is up my hockey, the parent group. And I'm also on my personal page right now, which I don't do all the time, but, uh, we do have some people, uh, saying hi, um, Marty yeah. Stein and, and Nick oh, Karofsky both have comments. So we'll, if you guys have comments out there that are listening, by all means, please. Um, that's one of the advantages of doing this. If someone has something they want to share with Aaron, I'll definitely get it out there. So, yeah, so please uh, give us your feedback on on, uh, on what you think is going on here. And if you have any questions, by all means, um, throw them out there. But uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, because I was I was looking. So you, you, you were with Revelstoke. And th- so that was interesting that you talked about that. So obviously minor hockey were not fighting. Um, and not that you were just a fighter by any stretch of the imagination, but you were you were a physical element, let's put it that way. And so was that something yeah. you knew was kind of a piece of your game or was it something that you found out when you were playing with Revelstoke that you were, you were good at that aspect as well and maybe that was going to be part of your toolkit? No, that was always, for me, it was always first it was skating and hitting second. And the fighting came because of that, right? When you play junior um i was always like i was just always really good at the angles and you know that part of the element of hitting uh i was just really good at it and i was fast and i wasn't big i was tiny so i would like i think i broke my collarbones like twice each when i was in minor hockey because i was like i was literally the tiniest kid in the whole city so I'm like, once once kids start hitting puberty and they start growing, there's this huge discrepancy in size. And I was always breaking stuff. And um, <laughs> but I was good at it. And then finally I grew. Um, and then like even in I think in Vernon, I really came into that role because and like we'll get into this, but like as I moved up the ranks, I always had to go back to what I knew. Like, and then when I would get comfortable or not comfortable when I would like grow and add a little bit of that offense to my game, which was never like that much. But when I did add that, it was like, okay, now I've become this better player and I'm moving on to the next level. And it's like, let's go back to what, you know, and that's how I was successful at it was just going back to that. And the fighting was more, like I said, a a byproduct of me, like killing guys a lot of the time. And, um, and like turning pro, it, I also knew, you know, like when you turn pro, it's like, holy, like the guys are so good. And you really like, for me, it was just like, yeah, this is definitely what I'm going to have to do again um, to right. make that next jump. Right. So, right. yeah. Well, talk about your time with the Vipers. So you go there because like that's what I found interesting, even like looking at your stats, because 
for those of you who don't, I mean, we have we've kind of covered this and we kind of haven't because it's interesting when you get guys at the pro level, like you say, everyone's really good. You mean, and you can, mm. and sometimes like there's guys that are hitting it on the third, fourth line where, you know, their hands aren't great or maybe their shot isn't great. And you I mean, you recognize what they're there for, but they're still going to zip it around in your men's league game. Like nobody else. Right. Like it's, it, it's kind yeah. of a different level, you know, I've been but there. I did after notice, I and I'll give you a, a, a plug. Not that a plug matters for me, but like when, when we've skated together, <clears throat> you definitely don't look like a guy that should have had, five goals for the Vipers in 50 games or three or whatever, you know, like you look like you could handle a puck. Look, at you have real good hands. Look, at you have good vision. Like did that, did that yeah. grow? Did that part of your game grow too? Like with you or like when did that happen? <clears throat> yeah, that, that grew a ton for me. I, I'm, I was such a better player coming out of college than I was when I went in like crazy, crazy better. Um, so that really didn't come until I was 21. So like, that's just another point. Like everyone, all the kids now are in such a rush. And like, for me taking my time, I didn't know it at the time because I wasn't good enough to have that opportunity to go sooner. Mm -hmm. But like, I was just a late developer. And then combined with that, like mental part of that and that drive, um, and like the work that I put in especially when I was in college, my skills just went like shot through the roof, um, which was cool to see. And then you like, you even see it with my stats. Like I just exploded that last year and it's not like, there's no coincidence there. There's a reason for all of that. Right. You um, got better. <laughs> I got way, way better. And like yeah. that happened for me at 24 years old. I was a senior <laughs> in college at 24. So, you know, it's never too late. Like yeah. that's what I like for me to, to stay in junior till I was 21 and spend four years of college was, and like, I went from this small junior kid to, you know, I was one of the bigger guys in college. So, you know, you're bigger, you're stronger and then combine that with the skills. So yeah, I, like, I don't think I scored my first goal in junior until like game 40 or in Vernon to like game 40 something. It was a that sick goal crazy. though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause like 55 but, games, you 55 games, you had five points that year. One goal for I'm pretty sure Vanekamp told me to not even worry where the puck was because that was when the rules were different. So we would have, like, and some of the listeners would probably remember the starting play we used to do in Vernon. Like, if we did that now, I think we'd probably be, like, you'd, we'd be out of the league, like, you, let alone suspended. But we would have uh, our centerman, Dean Strong, and then on our opening uh, opening face-off play for the game so we'd always start and dino would win the draw like every time he never lost the draw no matter what and da <laughs> dallas costanzo and myself and he could hit like a train too we'd be on the point and the d-man would be up so we could get like as much of a start sometimes we'd start from like our own circle because we were just like it was like a train coming and they knew it was coming and like every time he'd win it to dallas Dallas would flip it up right behind the net and it was like game on like it didn't matter where the puck was it was like we were just taking out whoever was there <laughs> and it would like set the tone and like if that play I mean it worked pretty much every time but we had such a good team that year like we were kind of unstoppable and it just like set that tone but yeah it's just funny That's I knew funny. what my role was like you know and it was a very I don't know if you agree now, but like sometimes even when I was skating in the lockout with those guys back in 2012, 
I just felt like the roles aren't weren't as defined as when like we came through junior. Like there was a very, very hard line between the bottom six and the top six. You were probably on that top six, but I wasn't. I was in the bottom six. But I like relished that. Like I knew what I was, and that's what like and then I was good at it because you know you embrace it and right. Um and I I, I don't know if that's there anymore. That's also partly because the game's <laughs> changed a lot, but yeah. um it's it was very clear for me and Larry Black, I don't know if if you remember Larry. Hmm. But anyways, he was uh he was the manager in Revelstoke and also was scouting for Vernon and he was a big part of like my career early because he sat me down you know when I had a decent year my last year at junior B and going to Vernon and he's like he sat me down and he said, "Listen, like you are not a goal scorer. Like, don't ever forget that. And <laughs> maybe kids don't want to hear that, but I, I, kids know where they, you stand. Like, I knew I wasn't a goal scorer. You know, like that's in minor hockey. Well, yeah, like everyone that plays junior was a goal scorer in minor hockey for the most part. Um, anyways, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, I like how you say that about the role definition and, and the. I do think it's a little bit different because the game is quicker. I'm talking at the top level now. I mean, maybe it's even in changed. the junior rank. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely changed. changed. But I can relate to that just in not having that clear definition, especially when trying to make the jump to the NHL. Because, you know, you being one thing forever, you know, which was a guy that put the puck in the net and was in a position to score and had a knack to do it. When you go to that top level and now – say you're in a third line role or you're in a fourth line role, right? Like playing five minutes and nobody's that taking, you know, young Jason put all on the side and saying, Hey, okay, all I want you to do now is hit, get the puck out and hit, right. Or do whatever, right. To earn your spot. Cause then you're kind of in this, you're in this, like, what am I, you know, like, yeah. am I a guy that's supposed to score? Am I not? So i like that idea of like having a clearly defined role. Cause then you can own it. Like you said, you said, like once you own yeah. it, like then you, then the accountability is on you, I think more so, right? Because you've been told yeah. what to do. You need to know what to do and then you can go out there and do it. Um, so, right. I mean, maybe they're not doing any favors of putting a ceiling on you, you know, like when your coach right. say you'll never be a goal scorer, but I mean, at some point you, you ended up working in into a position where you were one of your top guys. Right. So, I mean, that was probably a mindset yeah. thing for you. Oh, totally, Wait, I want to yeah. get in. So you mean here's a guy. So you you've got five points. Your first, your first, uh, your first, and 134 pims. So obviously you're you're getting Why in the box. Why are you laughing? What's that? Why are you laughing? At five points. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah, I'm laughing had, is because I, just, one, I I want to keep saying that, Patty. I want to keep saying that because there's so no, many guys just, out there that yeah. are like worried about. Yeah, I, I don't know. know, like and parents too, right? Like I think that's wild. That's super wild. And then the next year, kind of similar. Um, you have a great team, though. You guys have uh, you guys get to the final that next year, your second year. You're in a little bit bigger role, it seems like. Um, but then what? Uh, where I want to get to, and we want to talk, and I don't want to rush through Vernon because Vernon had a great – you had a great run there. But you guys get knocked out that year, right? So yeah. now you've, 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 you've felt – you know, you're in, the year for, you're in the league for the second year, which is always nice, too, right? You've kind of established yourself. You know where you're sitting. You're a little more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys have another good showing and then you get knocked out and like, let's get into the accident because that was really a pivotal point for you. I know. And I know a lot of people probably don't know about it here that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, so what happened there? Like what, what walk us through what happened and then the, and the aftermath of, of what happened? Well, yeah. So first of all, our, I'll preface it with like, I would have never gotten to where I got without the accident. So, and that's, part of 
what I've found with, you know, even just life where through adversity, you can achieve like massive growth. And so I'll just preface it with that. And I think that's so true. And I, you've probably had some experiences like that too, right? Where sometimes there's bad times in life. And I think I've really learned through this accident and even like after retiring that you can really use that as like, as fire, um, fuel for your fire. And, um, so, and ironically, that's what this accident is, is about is, was fire accident. So we were, you know, you finish your regular season. We, we were like number one in Canada all that year. So it was a pretty big upset for us to lose that. I mean, yeah, we made it to the finals, but that was as close as I ever got to a championship. So I, I'm still close buddies with a few of those guys. And we always talk about it. Like, ah, uh, like, how did we lose that? Like, right. But, uh, yeah. So anyways, we lost and we had a tight group and then, you know, you do your, I don't know if the guys still do their week of party and after, but we had our, you know, we went uh, camping for a couple of days and went up there and, uh, I was just, you know, young and stupid and I was messing around with some gas and I ended up, I had spilt, you know, about a liter and a half or so of gas on myself, on my stomach and my legs. And, uh, you know, a f you know, five minutes went by and we, we had been drinking. And so, you know, I was a little bit clouded, but I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to get close to the fire, you know, but I, I went to take my sweater off and went to just throw it in the fire. And like, unbeknownst to me, what I learned later that the fumes of that gasoline are, are more flammable than just the gasoline itself. So I basically burst into a ball of fire and, wow. uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty ugly. It's still, it's a little bit surreal for me even now when I think about it, because I'm like, I don't know if I was on fire for like 15 seconds, like a, a minute. I really, it was just so, I was in so much shock that, um, I just didn't know. So anyways, so to like sort of speed up the story, I just remember like after sitting there, I had no clothes on, like they'd been burnt off and peeled off and whatever. And just looking at myself, like, you know, not in pain because I was in so much shock and third degree burns. You don't feel because it burns right through the nerves and everything. Right. Oh. So I just remember looking at myself, like, and the look on all the guys faces. And it was like, this is, this is not good. Like, this is bad. And uh, so anyways, I get, we were up at Blue Nose Mountain, which is about, we were probably 30 minutes, 30 minutes out of town. And one of the guy's girlfriends who wasn't drinking, thankfully, drove me not fast enough, probably, to the, to the hospital in Vernon. And, uh, you know, I always say, because I still remember this, when, you know, your emergency room at the hospital at whatever it was, 12 o'clock or, or midnight or one o'clock, you know, you got your sick baby and your maybe uh, someone with like having heart problems. And then you have your guy that's gotten in a bar fight and needs some stitches. And then there's this like dirty, naked, burnt, bleeding guy running through the door. And then like, I don't remember anything after that. I think they were just like, yeah, okay, help him. <laughs> And anyway, so I got airlifted to Vancouver shortly after that, um, woke up in Vancouver the next morning and spent, I was in the hospital for six weeks there. It was supposed to be a lot longer, but um, healed really quickly. And so, yeah, I got out of there six weeks and it was a long, long summer of recovering. And then um, 
yeah, like I wasn't supposed to play hockey again. Um, so that is nuts. Was, like how, how, what was the, like how much of you was burnt and, and like to what extent, like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a burn yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah. I was 40%, just under 40% of second and third degree. So like I have the grafting skin grafts on my legs and my like stomach. And then <clears throat> I have like random scars everywhere, like on my arm and little pieces here and there but it's like a part of who i am now and it's now it's like a good story but uh um, right so you yeah like, you know, wow and and from a pain you said you didn't feel the pain there at the time like it's at some point there, there you must have been just an agonizing pain i would assume yeah the last probably five ten minutes of that drive to the hospital was was really really bad it was it was the worst pain i've ever felt like once that shock wore off um but luckily I had been given a, uh, a cooler with ice because my, my arm and my hand were hurting really badly, like right away. And so thankfully it wasn't third degree, which I didn't know at the time, but so it was just a really bad second degree burn. And the doctor said, that's probably what saved my hand and my arm. Um, I maybe should have like done some of that to the third degree areas, but they didn't hurt, like I said. Right. So, right. um, right. <clears throat> yeah, wow. it was a pretty we could talk about the hospital and stuff forever, but, um, well, what, was, uh, how about the, like the doctor saying, like you mentioned there that you weren't supposed to play or the recovery was supposed to be longer. Like how, how was that communicated to you? And at what point, like, were they telling you what your expectation should be <clears throat> of, of this? Yeah. Well, so once I sort of stabilized because I mean, I wasn't really out of the woods for the first couple of days when you burn yourself that badly, there can be, you know, inhalation worries of um, all that smoke and, and stuff like that. And then just even, you know, when you have that much trauma to your skin's the biggest organ on your body, right? So they, you know, you can, your body can go into shock and just start shutting down. So once I was out of the woods for the first, you know, couple of days and sort of stabilized a bit more, the doctors came in and, and chatted with me and said, like, you were really lucky. Uh, this could have been a lot worse because I didn't burn. I didn't have to get grafts over any of my joints. So like my knees, for example, like if I would, have, it stops, like someone was watching out for me because my grafts literally stop right before my knees. And so if you get that graft over your knees, then that's, there's no movement there. Right. So it's a bit of a, I don't know if it would have been the same outcome, but anyway, so they said, uh, my arm and like my hand were also in really bad shape. And they just said, you know, you're going to make a full recovery. It's going to be a long road, but you know, and then I asked, well, what about hockey? And they said, mm, like at least not for a few years, like you can do it for fun, maybe down the road, but like you got a long road ahead of you. And I said, uh, you know, I was just happy to, to be able to, I wasn't like going to die and I was, I was going to make a full recovery. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I screwed up and, you know, I kind of like ex accepted it in a way that I just was like, okay, well that chapter of my life's over. And, um, and I was just going to make a full recovery. And then I was, you know, I, I, I sat with that for nothing else to think about in there with besides pain and that. So it was like, it wasn't a great time because of that it was tough tough pill to swallow right but mm -hmm.
Just going to take a short break here from the conversation with Aaron to remind you and to thank you. For those of you who have subscribed, for those of you who have shared the podcast, for those of you who have written a review uh, on Apple, I thank you for that. Super grateful. It really does help grow the program and the, and the show. And for those of you who haven't, this is my ask. This is my my request for support that uh, I thank you for being here with me and I thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. But I also ask you to share that experience and to share what you're what you're pumped about and why you're choosing to make the decision to spend some time here because there must be something you enjoy. You must find value in the stories and that means others will find value too, but they have to know about it. So in this world of mass amounts of content, mass amounts of options, uh, please Put your voice to an option that you find worth listening to because others may do the same. So once again, thank you for those who have subscribed, reviewed, and shared. And for those of you who haven't, please do take the time and let somebody else know about the program and what we're all about here. And now I'll bring you back to my episode with Aaron Volpatti. Thank you. And that all changed. Um, I don't know if you have any other questions with that, but um, I can tell you like when that all had changed. It was shortly after. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just—it's interesting because I, I had Mike uh, Mike Shaw on, who who is the yeah. he's from Vernon as well, right? And he was he had that ski accident, and it was a really uh, powerful interview inside the group. And I was losing, kind of yeah. crazy, losing my mind listening to him talk about it. And he was sitting there in the hospital bed, not being able to move anything, right? Yeah. He was a quadriplegic at the time, and they were telling him that he'd never walk again. And in his head, he was saying, "I'm gonna ski again." You know, yeah. like that that's what he was like. He had made this kind of crazy decision and he was like, it wasn't necessarily conscious, but he said like what he took away with is like, don't let anyone ever define your possibilities or limitations. Yeah. Um, I met, my, I I met Mike like cool. a, a month or two ago. I met Mike and sat down and chatted with him. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, his, his story's pretty <laughs> wild. And, uh, and so I hear that too, I mean, cause you, you, you defied what they were saying too, but it may, it sounds like originally it was on a little different. It wasn't like a mental F you kind of pill saying, no, I'm going to do this. You almost kind of were like, all right, you know, I'm grateful for, for, the, for what I have, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get yeah. out of this and that's good. Uh, but you were able to, to defy, to, to defy their expectations too. How do you think that ever happened? Was your body just like crazily <laughs> wanted oh. to heal? It was a mindset flip for me. So like there's been two instances in my life with just like in regards to my hockey career that have like <clears throat> propelled me in terms of that mindset to to like really focus in and make that next jump. And then so when I about two weeks into my stay, I got a call from Mike Vandekamp, our coach. And I talked to him about a week before. He's like, just I'm glad you're doing all right. Like take your time, recover. We didn't talk about the next year because I had still planned on coming back. I didn't have a scholarship. Right. Yeah. And, um, so about two weeks in, he calls me, he's like, you know, how are you holding up? And I was like, yeah, not great, but it's a bit of a grind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, I just got a call from uh, Brown university. Um, the coach wants to talk to you. He's like, I know, you know, you, you don't know, you're not playing as of now. Um, he's like, they're looking for this type of player. And I told him, well, I got the perfect guy for you, but he's burnt himself to a crisp. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I talked to him and I called the coach from the assistant coach from Brown and 
he basically was more of like really sorry to hear what happened like we just wish you the best and you know we'd love to come if it's ever a possibility like you know we'd love to just have you out here even if you want to come for a visit and i i hung up that the the phone from that call and i just said and like similar to what you were saying with mike like Oh, I can't hear you yet. Just cut out for a sec. Oh, sorry. Oh, there, you're back now. Sorry, someone called me. I'm on my phone. Um, Yeah, so someone, um, or sorry, hung up the phone, and, like, I just, I flipped. I'm like, I just said, like, F that. Like, I'm going to recover from this. I'm going to play, like, that's my dream. Like, that scholarship, I'm like, yeah, like the doctors are saying this, but why, well, why do I have to be like a statistic like everyone else? Like, you know, screw that. So it was, I flipped that mindset. So instead of just like living with that pain, because I always describe that pain of being in the hospital of being like, is like you're being tattooed like 24 seven. So you're always at like a five or six out of 10 pain and it just never goes away. Um, and it would be worse some days it would be a 10 after they would like take you in the shower and like scrub you down. Like you're not awake for it, but you'd come out of there like in a lot of pain. But when I got that call, when I hung up that phone, like I didn't know I had that in me. It like just awoke something. And I just, I, I started framing my pain differently and I started using it like, you know, this is my body healing itself. And that's when I started doing a lot of visualization. Um, I did some reading and I started like, I literally would just sit there because I had nothing else to do besides like heal. And I like watched some TV once I was a little bit, you know, feeling better. But I would just visualize like, you know, seeing myself play for Vernon that year. And like physically, I would like, even at a cellular level, I would like, because I was like a biology guy I was interested in science and stuff. I would like just visualize like my burns healing and like I'd visualize like my cells like forming new skin and like all this might sound crazy, but I was supposed to be in the hospital all summer. And once I got those graphs done, um, like I recovered quick, really quick. And, you know, even still like like that's why I played, I think it was 20 something games. Um, when I, so I got to the hospital kind of mid summer and then, um, you know, I, I couldn't stand up or walk because for the, for another like month or two, because all that blood would rush to my leg. So I was in a wheelchair out of the hospital for, you know, probably another month and then not walking for, I don't know, another few weeks after that. So once August hit, it was like I did everything in my power to like, I was playing opening night. That was my goal. Um, But I had so many setbacks, like talk about like getting tested, like, okay, here's this new mindset you have. And it was just like one thing after another all summer. And so like the second day I got out of the hospital out of VGH got released, I get to Vernon um, to go meet this girl who, what ended up being my wife now my ex-wife so i was like i was just starting to see this girl i really liked and i burnt myself to a crisp and so i was like well i'm gonna go see her 
And um, I ended up getting kidney stones. So I'm sitting in her dad's place at the time. Never met him. This guy in a wheelchair comes in. I'm bandaged all up. Like I wasn't supposed to be go to the out of the hospital. By the way, like I told my dad, I'm like when I went in for my surgery, my grafting surgery, I got kept getting pushed back and pushed back, um, just because the burn unit. There's only ten beds there at the time, and so these are the ten worst burns in the province, right? So, um, there's a lot worse people worse off than I was, and so I got pushed back. So, anyways, I was. Didn't get my surgery till about a month, three weeks, a month in. And then as soon as I went in for my surgery, I'm like, dad, like I'm leaving here on this day. Like, I don't care what they're going to want to keep me. I said, no, because I had this, you know, I, I'm like, I got to get back home and play anyway. So they, I loaded me up with all these supplies. And anyways, I show up to, to Vernon to, to know this, this girl's house who I just met and I got all my burn kit and I'm like, in my wheelchair and I'm changing my bandages and she, she goes to work. She has to go to work and I'm sitting there. I wait, I wake up at about four in the morning with this pain. And I'm like, I don't know if I got it in my back. And I'm like, what is this now? Like I've had enough pain, like let me be. And I'm like, do I got to go to the bathroom? You know, I, I tried to have a bath. And at this point she had gone to work and like, it just kept getting worse and worse. And, so eventually, like, it got to the point where I'm, like, in the fetal position on the floor, naked, like, with a towel wrapped around me. And I got a, I called her dad. I'm, like, who I just met. I'm, like, <laughs> naked, burnt in his, like, spare room. Like, I'm, like, you got to get me to the hospital. Like, I don't know what is going on here, but something's not right. Anyway, so I get to the hospital. And you got to remember, this is the same hospital I ran into six weeks prior. Yeah. that that night and some of them i come in in my wheelchair and i'm curled over and they're like oh we're so glad to see you like we're worried about you obviously and i'm like yeah yeah like i don't know what's going on you got to help me anyways i had kidney stones so i had this pain in my back for just from being they said from being so dehydrated from recovering from this burn i got kidney stones um so that was another setback in in that recovery in a sense but then fast forward to um so i'm kind of all over the map but i'm trying to like paint the picture of that summer for you you're right so i had these kidney stones um which in terms of the recovery like yeah it affected a little bit but i was still on the shelf for you know for a couple months after that anyways so once august hit and i was like i was in the i got back into the gym which i wasn't supposed to be doing any of this but i said you know like screw the protocol like this is what i'm doing like i have this goal i need to do i had just got this seed planted from the guys at brown and you know i'm i'm gonna make that goal happen i don't care what i have to do um still hadn't skated or anything like that camps in like two three weeks um i'm just trying to get back to all the weight i lost and stuff right and uh so i same thing like about two weeks before camp, I, w I wake up and I got this pain, another pain in my, like, this time in my, like, lower stomach. And I'm like, what is this now? Like, it's, it's not the same, but it's, like, equally as bad. And I end up getting appendicitis. Jeez. So I had, like, everything that summer. And so I got my appendix out. 
and they had to cut through my graft. So I went into the hospital and they're like, yeah, you have appendicitis. And they're like, oh, I also see you've been badly burnt recently. <laughs> like, they're like, that's not great. We have to cut right there. And I'm like, God, like, okay, we got to get it out apparently. So yeah, that was a huge setback for me because I was just, you know, I had this mindset and I was like getting back into shape and I was starting to feel okay. Um, and then I had this and I, you know, I'm, and then I'm really on the shelf for a couple of weeks. I can't like, I got to wait a bit. So I go to Vernon knowing all this and they don't think I'm playing still. Like I haven't skated. Um, but in my mind, I, I was the whole time. It's just, I hadn't been on the ice. So anyways, camp starts. I'm just, you know, cleared, I guess, to like try going on the ice. And so I skate on my own a few times and I'm sure Vandekamp was probably like, oh, I don't really don't want to put this guy in. Like he, he hasn't even skated, but I think he knew that like I was playing, you know, like there wasn't any stopping it. So I got a couple practices in with the team and I played on that opening night. I think it was September 9th. Um, which was pretty emotional, like stepping onto that ice. It was pretty cool. Just like, it was really emotional just with the fans there and like cheering me How'd on. How'd you when do I it? Like, how did that ice. even work? So I had, I still wasn't fully healed. Like that was the, one of the main issues was infection because I still, this still hadn't closed. That wound still hadn't closed. So, but like, still I'm like, if I don't play, I'm not going to get a scholarship. So like, it was pretty cut and dry for me. Like I was playing. Right. But, but and, opening night, Patty, like opening night is, I mean, that was your goal. And I, I mean, respect you for making that, but I mean, Christmas might've been, you could still maybe got yeah. something if you waited till Christmas. You know what I mean? Like you said, like you had yeah. lost weight, you'd gone through all this stuff. You hadn't skated, you know, like it's, it's kind of seems like it was rush. And I guess it kind of was in a way, correct? Oh, it was for sure. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to play. Like I, I probably wasn't ready at all that year to play. Right. Um, I was still in a lot of pain. Like my burns were still fresh and I actually had to wear a bodysuit for two full years for the scarring. Um, so I wore that in, through college too. Um, because if I didn't, I would, if I took that off, like, so I would play shower when I took that off, like the scars, if within like five, 10 minutes, they would raise like half an inch and they'd be rock hard which is crazy. I'm like, how does that happen so fast? But yeah, you had to wear them to keep that pressure on the scar to keep it down. Wow. Um, anyways, so that's nuts. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool and emotional to, to achieve that. But I was like, I was still in a lot of pain, like getting hit and skating. Like it, it was still pretty painful. Um, and then I started getting, you know, a few weeks in and it, I actually started, I had like a point a game, the first 13 games, like I was playing well, like I was playing awesome. And, uh, but I started getting this pain in my like growing and just because of the damage I had done to those muscles, mm -hmm. the doc, none of the doctors I saw knew what it was, but I, I was in such bad pain in that like pelvis area that like I, I couldn't even, I was coming to the rink on crutches. I just like, I couldn't put weight on and I was getting, you know, shot up with pain uh, meds so I could play just because I'm like, I got to get this scholarship. And so finally I had this fly down and committed shortly after. 
And then it was kind of everyone was like, you know, I talked to my coach and the coach at Brown and they were talking. We all just said, you got to shut this down. Like <laughs> we want you to be healthy. And, and, you know, I, I agreed, like I was come to the rink was a struggle. Like I, like I said, it was so painful, like just to walk. And so that is um, so nuts, man. Like looking like, yeah. again, like I said, I didn't do much research before this, but to see you play the 25 games there, um, the year you got committed, I just yeah. automatically assumed in my head, right. That it was the last 25 games of the season. Yeah. Right. right. You, no. you, it was, it was actually the first, the first 25. 25 games you got committed. Then you took the rest of the season off. Yeah. So it was, I think I played the first like 15 or 16 games. Um, but then this issue started happening and I'd have to take a game off or a couple games off, but I was playing really well. And so um, if I said I was good to go, Vandy was like, okay, like I believe you based on the fact that you played the opening night, which no one thought I would. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I would play and then I had this fly down and I tried to play a couple games after and I was in just so much pain. So it was kind of like, yeah, there was a few games off, but then once we decided to shut it down, it was like, uh, my body had been through so much and it was everyone's best interest, including myself, just to take some time and be like, yeah, I'd say so. go heal and, you know, take care of yourself. So I did that. Um, and so, and I came back for the playoffs because, you know, I wanted you know we had another good team and yeah. i wanted to win but you know the issue shortly um came back again and um right. so i didn't i think i played i can't remember i remember i didn't play the last game that we lost out i think we got bounced in the first round of seminar in my last year um i think i played the first one or two games and then i didn't after that which i i wanted to but it was just too much again and yeah. i also wanted to be careful about you know nine next year at brown so sure there's a couple of topics here that i want to kind of steer the ship back to and one was <laughs> when you said you had a perspective shift about what pain meant and i think that's a really powerful scenario because i think that although not all of us listening probably very few of us listening is, have have dealt with the burns you were dealing with but we've all experienced some form of pain before um yeah. and there is an interesting way Two, and now I'm talking physical pain, not necessarily emotional pain, but like even like with my boys the other day, we were out mountain biking and there was, you know, there's a hill and their legs get sore and there's that association of like, what do you do at that point? Like, how do you, what yeah. is your perspective on that, on that pain, right? That level of pain. And, and I think those of us that can kind of find a way to, to, to move that yeah. into something that this is actually where I want to be, right? This is why I'm on this bike ride is to get to this moment. So now I can have this opportunity yeah. to move forward, right? To dig, to dig in, to see what I'm made of. Or there's people that think, okay, when, when my legs get sore on that bike ride, that's the point where I get off the bike and I walk because my yeah. body's telling me that's enough, you know? And yeah. I'm not saying one's right or, or not, but there is a perspective shift that's different there in those two scenarios. Totally. Um, and it's a powerful one. Yeah. was there like as far as that was it a light switch kind of thing for you or was like now this is going to mean something different or like how can you walk us through that like what that meant for you or how that how that manifested yeah so part of it was just like i don't know i i was able to start sitting with that pain and like breathe through it and almost just like i said i i was able to like frame it differently and utilize it and like it dissipated a little bit which i'm like holy crap, like this is cool and uh 
and yeah, I just, I started using that as, as fuel in terms of, like I said, visualization in terms of like seeing my body recover. Right. Um, and a lot of us have probably heard like the 40% rule. <clears throat> and part of it was just that I didn't know that I had that in me, like as a human being that we all have that. Right. Um, and, and do you so, mean us operating at 40% capacity? Well, yeah. So what we think when we hit our limit, like you've only hit 40%, like there's so much more you have. Most people just haven't tapped in that because they don't know how I didn't know yeah. how until like I had flipped that and I started, you know, using my mind and which is, I mean, now I, I know like the greatest tool we all have is our minds because I've like, now I've lived that and I've seen that. So like I said, I wouldn't be where I got to without that experience. Um, like when I, and then when I turned pro and when I went into the camps and even through like college fitness testing, like you remember the Wingate tests, like I blew those tests out of the water, like the, like off the charts because I could just, I learned to like sit with that pain and like, just, I don't know, I could push through it. Um, but that, like you said, that's the physical pain. Like there's also the emotional side, which like I've dealt with some of that even after retirement. And I've thankfully like had this resource because it's different, but it's very similar too in a way. Um, so yeah, yeah it's just, it, it's pretty powerful stuff if you, if you can, you know, it, but it takes a lot of practice. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, right. You need to, you need to work that muscle, that mind muscle, like, on the daily because if you don't like even i lose it a little bit sometimes even with, it's like confidence is the same yeah it's a mindset and, and sometimes you know when you really keep up with it and that sort of snowballs and um but it's going to get knocked down and if you don't stay on it 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 goes away it doesn't stay there well, so that's a similar thing don't you like it's it's even like that's why i, I love these conversations because for for those listening and even it's a reminder to me is is where is the limit Right. I mean, like having that discussion of, of, of even somebody thinking, sitting there on their chair right now going, I got 60 percent in me that I haven't explored before. Like even that concept can be like, you know, it's jarring. Right. To think about that. Yeah. And I heard the first time I heard it was David Goggins, who um, swears a lot oh, yeah. and is a, yeah. one bad MF. But he thinks that we operate at around 40 percent. And he says, if yeah. you get to 50, like you're like rolling and like he's always out there to try and find how close he can get to his threshold. Yeah. And, uh, and when you start thinking like that, like it does open up, like you, you lean into resistance, right? You fight through different things. You're, you're curious about how you can find ways to improve and get better. And, uh, and that's empowering, you know, and that's empowering. And it, and it is yeah. about using your mind in a way that you haven't been to before being curious about what your ca physical capabilities are. And, yeah. uh, and like you said, I mean, with what you've, what you went through there was essentially a gift, which, which isn't, you know, I yeah. mean, if, if someone would say, Hey, you want to get burnt 40% in your body and no one in the world would sign up for that. Yeah. Right. But like the fact that you did it and it was, it was able to provide you with this perspective ability that potentially allowed you to play in the NHL at the end of the day. Right. A hundred percent. It did. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but absolutely right. it did for yeah. sure. So that yeah, is so was, crazy. Uh, and the, the other thing too I was thinking about uh, Patty was uh and I want to talk to you about visualization a little bit more but even about the standards like I I talked to some of my personal clients about standards and 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 how you created it sounds like you created your own standards within that yeah. world right because you you had a set of expectations that was different than everybody else 
all these experts were around you saying, no, you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be in the gym or you should be doing X or Y. And you were like, no, right? Whatever it compelled you inside yeah. to do that. But you had a different set of requirements for what you were operating on and your standards were different. And because yeah. they were different, allowed you to do different things. And that's one thing I think is really, really empowering to people to hear is like, develop your own standards, right? I, I, I usually totally, associate yeah. that with hard work personally. Like hard work to you probably means something different than it means to me, probably means something different than my next door neighbor, yeah, right? But like when, sure. we, when we have this idea of what is my standard, right? Like yeah. what am I willing to do to get what I want? You start operating outside of this of this idea or this paradigm that everyone else has created. Even like when you go to your junior camp, right? And you have yeah. your, your workout after practice and you skate whatever and then everyone else goes home. Yeah. Is that really what the day should be like for somebody if you want to get somewhere? You know, is there something else you could be doing? Yeah. Is there some standard you could do that could maybe, you know, give you to a different level? I just think it's when you're curious about that stuff, it allows you to find what is actually meant for yeah. you, what's best for you, right? No, I totally agree. Um, it, it, it's it's challenging because, it, like I said, it, it, it wavers and it doesn't stay that mindset and that that world that you can like sometimes live in when you're operating at like you feel like you feel great that's not hard to to keep or sorry it's hard to keep um right. and i've like and i've lived that and i've realized that i'm like like i had that like when i was in vernon that last year i was living in my own world like i was just trying to get through this like the pain and um like the physical pain to overcome that and and play and I lived in this own little bubble of mine. It right. felt like, um, but it was a very powerful bubble in that sense too. Um, so, but I think you're totally right with the standards. Like they look different for everyone and they should look different for everyone. Um, and yeah, are there rules in life? Absolutely. But not in some senses, like with that, with your standards, there shouldn't be, I don't think. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no. And, and, and that's, I mean, you had a goal and I think like, I don't know, I mean, there's so much content out there on goals and being goal oriented and short term and long term. And it become it can become really theoretical and almost academic, like a, a textbook kind of style. But there is, yeah. there is a fire around having something that you want, that you truly want. Like you totally. see in yourself in that opening day lineup was like tangible, real for you so much so that like you were willing to do shit that other people wouldn't do. You know, yeah. and um, I don't know how to create that, like how to give people like to have that passion, to be that passionate about something. But my goodness, like when that when those dots connect, like real cool things happen. Oh, it just like. Yeah, you, you fulfill that and you it's something that you've been on this path to do and, and then you do it and just the rewarding feeling you get from that um, is pretty amazing to to put work into something and you know, see it through and see it come to fruition is, is really cool and, and rewarding. So, yeah. and then it just makes, it just makes that, that connection in your, in your brain stronger and then makes your mindset stronger. How um, much did you, um, were you familiar with visualization at, at all? Like as far as no. a, a high performance tool prior to the burn and, and, and if you weren't like, how much did you utilize it afterwards? Yeah, I wasn't familiar with it until then. And, uh, you know what I really wish I remembered what this book was called because I just there was like books in this uh in the burn unit where in like the little common area when I was you know able to like get someone to wheel me around after a few weeks in the hospital and I I started reading this 
this book and I, and I should have wrote it down because it sat with me for while well, I started doing it. And I don't, there's all these rules on what mindset needs to be in terms of like how you approach it and what visualization is, but like, same thing with the standards, like it's what works for you. Like some people meditate, some people breathe, some people do yoga, some people just go outside and sit with themselves. Like I don't, there's all these rules, but like, it's what, what works for you. And so I had what worked for me. Um, and then I utilized that even like all throughout hockey, especially in college, it was like really, really powerful. And that was like part of the reason I had a lot of success there too, uh, towards the end. Cause I used that, um, how'd you use it there? Pretty much. So I would, before every game I would go, you see a lot of more guys do this now, I think, because it's I think it's, I don't call it more popular, but it's more at the forefront, I think, with Because it with works. Because <laughs> it works. And, you know, like, I feel like maybe it's the generate, like, I, I don't know. I think guys sometimes, you know, men especially, or, or boys at that age are, you know, we're a little bit more stubborn sometimes where it's like, oh, I don't need this. Like, oh, I'm strong or, or things like that, yeah. right? But, um yeah, and you're seeing a lot of guys do it now because there's science behind it and you're seeing guys have huge success with it. So um, I would go up before yeah, every game. I would do it on like non-game days too, just like do some visualization, but bef especially before the game. And I would do, I would listen to the same song twice. It was the Metallica Hero of the Day. Oh, what a great song. Uh, great song. I don't, like I really like the song and it wasn't even so much about the lyrics. It was just sometimes you just have those songs that like it just like really sits with you and it, it sort of ignites your your spirit in a way. And uh, so I would sit there in the stands and the first one I would close my eyes and I would see myself. So this is towards my end of career when I when the NHL was more on my radar and I said, I'm I'm going to play there like whatever I have to do. And so the first one I would, I would close my eyes and I would picture myself playing in the NHL and I would picture myself, you know, feeling great and like feeling strong and feeling fast and, you know, kind of invincible in a way. And then the second time it would come on, I would open my eyes and I would like see myself on the ice for that specific game. And I would see myself like make a really good play. I'd see myself score a goal, you know, it was crazy. And it's crazy when you practice that, how you, I, I actually could see it. Like, you know, that may sound a little bit crazy, but I would. And then I, I had a strong year my last year and my confidence was so high that, and then I would go out and score like two or three goals. Like for me, just not being an offensive guy to have that, it was such a crazy experience to be honest, like to, to have that mindset, my confidence was through the roof. And like, I'm sure you've, you know, you've had that at times in your career where you, you know, you just know you're going to score, like, or you're going to make good plays. Like, it's pretty cool. So. No, that's, I mean, I, I never did that. And gosh, I wish I did because you yeah. being in university, right. And like, in, and imagining yourself playing in the NHL, like in such a, like a visceral, like real tangible way uh, was 
was probably powerful beyond you even recognized at the time because like once oh, you sure. got there you'd already been there in a way you know and you've and you've and you yeah. felt that before and your your neurology and your emotions were like prepared for that i i do think that that works you I mean i i mean, it's more than just anecdotal like from guys but i've have talked to enough guys that like that has been the case you know and yeah and uh, and that's where I feel like for me, because, yeah, excelling at the minor league level and like feeling how you're feeling, not necessarily you, by using visualization, just because I was productive. Right. It was results oriented. So like, yeah, I had right. confidence. Yeah, I felt like I belonged because I was doing things that showed me that I was. But when I got yeah. to that next level, I had never placed myself with Matt Sundin, with Wendell Clark. Yeah you know, right. with these guys and I'd never seen it. And, and I, and I was never able to accomplish the results then that in the past had always given me the confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, totally. so what yeah. happens when you don't get the results? And I talk about that quite a bit, right? There's a way to get confidence and to feel yourself comfortable in a situation you've never been to before. And, and one of the ways is what you're talking about right now. And that's so powerful because like I said, it is a training. Your brain can't tell the difference when you get good at yeah. visualization and it is a skill for everyone out there listening, it is a skill. It's not like you have it or you don't. It's something that you can practice and develop. When you get good at it, your brain can't tell the difference. Right. No, you're And so if right. you played like a thousand shifts in the NHL, Patty, and then now you get out there, right? A thousand shifts, I mean, in your head. And then you get out yeah. there for the first one. It's not that foreign as it would be for the guy who's never thought about it before. You know, it, right. it's a more no, comfortable totally right. environment. So I'm, yeah. I mean, thanks for sharing that. I think that's super, super cool that you were doing that, and I, you were a bit ahead of your time. And even in that space, like you said, yeah. like you brought up the masculinity male side of the sport, which I think is is a powerful one, right? Like, yeah, you know, we're like tooth and nails, blood, sweat, and tears, kind of like you've warrior yeah. mentality, and and sometimes yeah. that mental side of preparation. Um, wrongly gets associated with a little bit fluffy, right? Like that's not, yeah. that's not me. That's what I'm about. And for you to be such a guy that was, was, you know, of that nature and to, and to use the mind so, so powerfully, I think that that tells me that anyone should be doing it. It's not just for the first line power play guys. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And, but like I said, the challenging thing is keeping that. So like, so in college, yeah, I did that. But then like, even when I turned pro, like a part of that is turning pro and, you know, everyone's that much better and my role was like once again going back to that and you know I struggled with a lot of like being like a fourth line guy generally in pro like it's it's tough to keep that confidence when like you know as as a as a line or a player like if I turn the puck over I'm not going to be playing the rest of the period like my first shift you know so my confidence like it was sky high and then it went, I turned pro and then it like slowly went like this. And then I really found it a struggle to like get that back. And like I said, part of that was because you're playing in a way better league. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. But um, yeah, like just going back to the college, like I started doing that more when I, it was after my junior year of college, the assistant coach sat down with me and he said like, you could play pro hockey. Like you're getting some attention from some of the scouts. And then I, and it was like another click for me when I was in the hospital, getting that call from Brown, it was like, Holy shit. Like I'm like a kid from Revelstoke. Like I could play in the NHL potentially. Like, and I just, I flipped it again. And then you saw, and then I, I literally just, I stayed out there that summer for school and I just trained all day long and like worked on my skills with this assistant coach who played pro and he was a 
um, straight offensive guy and I just worked with him every every single day and um, had that you know visualization came back and I started use, utilizing it more so yeah it's like you said it it works with if and more people are getting their head around it so yeah no man like I'm gonna go back so we had a couple Marty Stein for one I don't know if do you know do you know Marty at all I used to be neighbors with Marty. Oh, okay. Yeah, Marty's a yeah. great guy. He's been a big supporter of me. He's he's been a, a scout for the Detroit Red Wings for a long time. And he yeah. uh he shared a story here in the comments. He says during his time in Vernon, Aaron was probably the most feared player in junior hockey. Hardest hit I ever witnessed was a game um versus Salmon Arm. Hopefully Aaron can share yeah. this during the interview. <laughs> do, do you remember which hit he's talking about? <clears throat> I assume he's talking about this uh, I think his last name was Silverson. Um so our opening play that I already told you about. Um, we did that. And I, this guy was probably six, five, like six, five, six, six, big, big dude. And uh, he knew everyone knew about the play. So I'm coming <laughs> around, I'm crown, coming around one side of the net. He's coming around the other, but he said, probably like, screw this kid. Like I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. So we each are going full speed you got to remember, I was maybe 175, like 180. I wasn't a big that big then. Yeah. And, um, like, I I crippled this guy. Like, he just hit the deck. I, I think he ended up breaking some ribs or something. So we actually ended up scoring. So I hit him behind the net. He's lying on the ground. And I, someone, I, I passed it to Dallas, and I think he passed it to Dean Strong or whoever it was, and we scored. And we're celebrating over and this guy's like crawling on and the guys are trying to help him get to his bench. And we're, <laughs> I'm assuming that's the one Marty's talking about where he's, <laughs> he's just trying to like get his breath back and get back to the bench. And we're celebrating right over there. Over scrum, top trying, of to help, yeah. trying to help this guy get him off the ice. <laughs> Made for TV play. I love it. I think it was the fact that he was just a really big dude. And then it was like, what just happened? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's another uh, Marty shares another story he worked with Ken Holland for a long time and he says I received a call from Ken Holland after Ken saw Aaron fight against the Flyers so this is when you're already in the NHL and uh, oh, yeah. the broadcaster stated that he played in Vernon and Ken asked why we didn't sign him and uh, <laughs> Marty says our their, their college scout didn't didn't <clears throat> whatever it wasn't wasn't a big fan and he says big mistake you know that uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that we never that we never got on so yeah, anyway yeah. let's talk another another uh, gentleman uh, nick nick asked um, just about college as as the route for you you know it was there was major junior ever ever an option like you mentioned that that school and the scholarship was always a big a big beacon for you it was was that like from your family was that you or or was major junior just never really thought you could play there well a little bit of everything yeah a little bit of all that um <clears throat> it was my goal but part of that i think was because the whl was never really on my radar like you gotta like i said i wasn't really that good like right. i was small i was a pretty good player um i played hard and tough but like i got invited to some camps but i knew with the, with the eligibility thing that like I just honestly never even entertained it because I'm like, okay, well I can go to these camps, but like there's a good chance I'm not going to make it. Right. Right. So yeah, it, it was on my radar. It was a blip on my screen. Like there, it was there, but it wasn't really an, an option for right. me um, because of that. And then, um, yeah, I just, and then the thought of getting some, 
uh, schooling paid for for a scholarship was was my goal. And so did you get a full ride? To Brown? Well, it's actually different. The Ivy League's different. They don't do scholarships. So basically, the sport just gets you into the college and accepted, and then you go on financial aid like every other student. Um, gotcha. My parents were like, you know, middle class, so I I didn't pay really much for anything for whatever sixty thousand dollars a year. What it usually is, it was like, you know, gotcha. didn't pay much. So it it worked out to pretty much be a scholarship, but. You know, right. if your family has a ton of money, then you got to pay more. That's how it works. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. So they, um, we, we, I've talked about that before here, which is interesting because university hockey is becoming, well, I mean, it, it's it's parallel for sure. You know, or more parallel than it's ever been to major junior route. I mean, the number of players it produces, um, but one thing it does is it definitely allows you to have a longer runway meaning you know right. the development runway like you said i mean you kind of hit your your prime there in, in 09 10 at 25 years old um from a skill point right you became a different player whereas i would have been in the minors for five years at the time and everyone had yeah. already forgotten about me you know right. like it's uh it's definitely different and when you're playing pro as you know because you were there and in the minors like it's game after game after game and like it's not necessarily uh they call it the development league, but like there's not enough time to really be on the ice and practicing and developing per se, yeah. right? You're playing games uh, all the time. Like you're on the road, you're doing all this stuff. So college turns into this place, um, which is even different than junior hockey because junior hockey, you're playing 72 games a season, right? Uh, in college, you're yeah. playing a couple of games in the weekend. So you definitely have an opportunity to be on the ice more and to develop. Like is, is, was that a big, you know, part of the process for you? It was huge for me. And like, I didn't, at, like I said, at the time, didn't really realize how huge it was. <clears throat> like, my last year there, like the year I did really well, like I lived there all summer. And then my days of of my last year at school were I'd come to the rink in the morning and I'd skate and work. I wouldn't even put my, I'd put my skates and my stick and my glove and my helmet and work with the coach on like, just straight skills because I wanted to, I knew I had to add that to my game. And, uh, but you have that opportunity to do that because I'm not worried about getting worn down. We play 30 games, like, you know, so we had all this time. So I'd come to the rink in the morning. I would do that. And then I, you know, try and balance that out with classes. Sometimes I'd skip the odd class and like, just do it later that night. Um, the homework or whatever. And then I'd, you know, I'd go to class, I'd do like my lab I had to do for like my biology or chemistry and then go to practice at three o'clock or whatever it was. And then, you know, so it was kind of a, a mix in there. But by the time the weekend rolled around, like you were fresh and like that's why college is so fast because it's a little bit more disorganized, but you're fresh and it's like you're so ramped up for that game that you've been waiting for for a week. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So, yeah, with, with, with the skill development side there, like not that I want you to get into any specific drills, but like because there's there's a there's a big there's a big contingent of people that think it's kind of a have or a have not type type of thing. Right. Like hands yeah. and hockey. Right. Your ability with a puck. Uh, some guys obviously come to it a little easier than others. But like I think you'd be it sounds like you're a really good testament to because I've witnessed it. Right. Like 
that you have good, like you have great hands, you have good hands, right? Like, so you, you were able to develop that. Like, do you, was it just a matter of putting in the time? Was it the right drills? Was it working with the right person? Like, do you have any like insight into that for those out there who think that maybe they can't, you know, like whatever, there's young guys who listen to this, so they can't toe drag, yeah. or they don't have the saucer pass down, whatever the case may be. Like, how did you develop that? And what was the, what was the secret? If there was so one. I, I've been asked this before and I always relate it to, have you heard of the book, The Outliers? Yep. By Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. I like his books and I read that one a while back a long time ago. And, uh, he like hits the point where he like references the Beatles and like the 10,000 hour rule and all that stuff that we've probably all heard about by now. And it really like hit home with me because like the Beatles weren't, that good like people don't really realize that they were just given this they were just good enough like did they have a little bit of talent yeah but they weren't the best by any means and they just got an opportunity to play at this like little dive bar in england literally as much as they wanted so they played for 14 hours a day from 11 till 2 in the morning for like two years straight and so they hit this 10,000 hour mark and it's like, whoa, like we do you need some underlying talent there. Of course, like not you and I can't just go hit the driving range and then go on the PGA tour. Like we're not that good. Like we could get better. Um, same thing with like, you know, being a, a musician or you can learn anything, but yeah, you got to you got to have a little bit of underlying talent, but if you have that, you can really feed that with, you know, practice. So I think it's a little bit of both. And that really hit home with me because like, I was always just good enough to like, I crept into that next level always. Like it wasn't like it was a shoe in for me ever. It was yeah. like, I was just good enough. And then it just, I was partly a late bloomer. And then when I realized you know, just about the hours you need to put in to, to nurture that skill set to like, to your point, like you can get better. Of course you can. Um, if you have, you know, not everyone can play junior hockey because like at the end of the day, not everyone, there's better players and there's not as good players, right? Like that's just in life. That's just what it is. Um, but it just hit home with me because, like I really noticed such a huge difference and I'm like, God, why didn't I work on this like sooner in my career? Right. Because I got, it was like that I got that much better. It wasn't like I just slowly got better. It was like very hard line of like, you know, and I'd have my whatever 10 points in 30 games in, in college, my first three years. And then like I got way, way, way better that last right. year. And that, because I was working on it every single day because I, once again, had this mindset of like, I don't care. Like if people think I can't make it to like, I'm going to make it there. And I just, right. and I knew I was, the crazy thing is I knew I was going to do, I knew I was going to make it. And part of that was like trusting the process and, and seeing the results that came along with it. It's like, holy shit. Like, you know, I have a point of game in the first like seven games, like this is working and then you do it more and yeah. you, your confidence goes through the roof and it, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to, you get to live the process a little bit. Oh, right? like my, 
like my last year at college was by far the like the coolest time in terms of that and in terms of confidence and like just being in this really space that no one could knock you out of right um, no that's so great it was, it was pretty cool yeah but anyways that book i always relate it to that book because it really hit home with me where you got to be you know you got to be somewhat good yes because not everyone can do these things or you know their respective craft um but if you if you work and put in the time then yeah you can really perfect something yeah so no for sure and you know, I mean, average is the wrong word. You have to be better than average. But like, if you if you can make it to like a junior level of you know junior, you're better a, than average already. Then you're yeah. already better than average, right? Like you're way better than average. So like, that, yeah. I do think that from that spot, there's so much room to grow. And I think a lot of us have a tendency, which is another tenant that I like talking about, which is deliberate <laughs> practice, which is what you're speaking to, right? The ability to deliberately practice something outside of your comfort zone, because we usually when we practice. Even kids like who say, oh, I shot 200 pucks today. Those kids are shooting the puck the way they are good at shooting a puck. So they yeah. repeat what they're good at again and again and again and again. Right. That's not getting you any better, really. I mean, in my opinion, right? It's like no. the guys that are practicing the things that they're not good at, right? Yeah. Specifically not good at with an intention involved. Like that's when that that growth explosion happens, right? Like, yeah. um, so, I mean, good for you to, to lean into that, man. Like that that's... I just love that aspect of it too. And to have the proof be in the pudding that, you know what, this does work yeah. you know, and it does stick. Uh, yeah, were you no, captain just your last year? Or were you captain prior to that? I was assistant captain my junior year. So then, and you and wore then, the C your last year. We actually had tri captains, which was a little bit unorthodox. So like myself and two other guys, um, okay. we were all 21 year old or sorry, 20, five-year-old seniors from Canada yeah. and yeah they were all both like really good players and leaders too but um yeah but, but that, that, that sounds like to me though you grew like you were growing into a leadership role there even like with your attention to like be dedicated enough to stay right. there that school year right to work in your game to have this to have this idea of where you wanted to go that that's I've spoken to that here before. I mean, having those guys at the top of your food chain that are really committed to something becomes now part of your culture for everyone else coming in there, right? Like they're watching oh, totally, you yeah. do your thing, right? Have success. It's like now it becomes okay for them to find out what works for them and what their standards are as we spoke to already. Yeah, no, for sure. Unfortunately, like we didn't have ever have like a really great team when I was at Brown. Uh, mm -hmm. But that last year um, we snuck in and went on a run and actually knocked off. Uh, I think we beat Yale and they were ranked and we were like at the bottom of the, you know, we go and then you go on a run. It's like you get hot and we ended up going to the tournament uh, for the ECAC and we lost to Cornell, I think. But um, <clears throat> yeah, but it was cool just to be like, especially a leader on a team that like you're part of a run and you're driving that right. ship a little bit, you know. So when you had when you had the, the the perspective change or the mindset shift of being like now NHL was a thing or pro hockey was a thing like which, whichever one yeah. it sounds like NHL was was what you wanted to be you could see yourself there you could believe yourself being there what uh, 
how did you go about like what was it was it mental mostly and physical or was it i mean wh- wh- how did your compass change there like what was what was the big the big difference for you w- with that and believing right because it's one thing to say yeah i want to play in the nhl but it's another thing to actually believe it and think that it's that's real you know like wh- how did you connect those two dots together well it was a bit of a well it's funny because i was going to say it's a, it was a process which it is but it was it also like flipped for me because i also like related it to when I was in that hospital and I'd lived that, like, you can flip that switch. Like I, well, I know I can now where in terms of the mindset and the, you know, seeing something and, and really like dialing in and chasing it like that part's the process, but the flip of the, the mindset and the goal can happen um, right away. And so that was part of it for me. And then that, that was the process was, you know, doing those things on a daily basis and seeing the reward and seeing like, seeing how it worked. And then you just want to do it more, like you said. Um, so it was pretty cool to live that. So it was a little bit of both in, in that sense. Right. Well, we should, I mean, we're, we're my goodness, we, we, your story's so great. We're already a, an hour and 20 in here. And I, I don't want to keep you forever, That's but hilarious. I do want to touch a little bit on the NHL. I mean, and, and more like, you know that first pro camp, maybe maybe your first game. I know you spent some time in the Moose, as did I. Uh, what what was the biggest challenge or adversity like getting into that pro environment for you? Because the other thing I'm I'm thinking in my head here too is now you've played college for four years. I, I assume haven't dropped the gloves in four years. Um, uh, I did once. Oh, you did once, <laughs> but might have been a little rusty, right? Like yeah. was that something that you knew was going to be coming at you again? Or I mean, I don't want to actually. I don't want to steer you there if that wasn't one of the challenges. But like, what was some of the adversities coming into pro? Yeah, I mean, to a sense, like I knew what my role was, but at the same time, like it's just funny where where you your role in the game can take you. Like when I turned pro, like you got to remember, like I was, I went from my junior year of college to not being like really that much on the pro radar to the end of my senior year being like the top three, one of the top three or five players in the whole NCAA. So like I was fairly highly touted, uh, which was crazy to think like a year prior, there was that much difference, right? Which we had just talked about. But um, so I came to the moose, like I was like expected to play like, you know, top maybe second third line like not fourth line like i was a pretty i had a you know quite a few goals um and then my first camp i i remember like the guys were you know like the guys are so good i'd go on a two-on-one and i'd be like oh i'd be like back door and i like i went to the young stars tournament and i scored like three or three or four goals in five games i'm like holy shit like i'm like it's just crazy like i'm this i belong here you know like i wasn't out of place and it was just it was more like coming from a little kid from Revelstoke, and you're like, wow, right? No, I don't know if you can hear me, Patty, but you froze up. Hopefully, you guys can hear me there. Anyone uh, tuning in? What a what. A, what an awesome story uh, that we can all learn from here from, from Aaron. My goodness. Uh, 
everything that I think is so important is like crystallized in, in, in his story here, the power of the mindset of having a perspective shift of being able to set a, a goal and to be able to actually have an action plan to work towards it, uh, which instills confidence. Like that's the thing is like confidence isn't just a results oriented thing, right? It's not the only way to get confidence. Uh, from getting the results and the thing that you want. And now you prove to yourself that you're good enough to do it. Uh, there's ways to build confidence through that process of what you're doing when no one's looking, what you're doing when when no one there is watching to see yourself getting better. So that when you arrive in this moment of opportunity, you're now able to to take advantage of that opportunity. So we got Aaron back on the line here now. Sorry, Sorry. I, don't know, I don't know what happened. I got booted out there. That's all right. No worries, man. It happens. Um, 2020 and technology doesn't uh, work. Yeah. Um, sorry, I can kind of segue back into it if you like. <laughs> yeah, um, no worries. No worries. Get back in. I was just uh, closing the loop there while we were waiting for you to get back in. Yeah. Where did we leave off? Well, you were just talking about your time, like how you were starting to feel comfortable, like you were feeling comfortable, thought you you had, you were established, you were going to be a little bit more established in maybe a higher role. And then you were kind of confronted with potentially some pretty good players and trying to go back to the roots, I think is where you were going with that. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, I remember like my first camp and thinking like, you know, I, like I belong here. And then um, I went back down to the Moose or started the year there. And, you know, had like, I was playing first unit power play and I had, I think, I think I had like four assists in my first two games, gotten a couple scraps and did pretty well. And, um, you know, I was like on the path to like, you know, maybe I could even be like a second, third line NHL player one day, like the sky would kind of felt like the limit. And then, and then I go on a bit of a rut and then, you know, I don't score or get a point for like, five six seven games and then you know I started scrapping more and um just because I knew like I could contribute that way or or be physical and then you know you start doing well and like I don't know like I don't know if I would have made the NHL if I didn't do that stuff like I probably wouldn't have so I think it's just funny where I think if I you know if I did continue on that role early where my career potentially could have gone with that um, mm -hmm. but I ultimately like knew what my role was and, and did that. So I think it, it really helped me in that sense. And, uh, I got called up, I think around Christmas that year. And, you know, like I said, I always defaulted to what my role was in terms of that. And I really just, and then I just struggled to get that offensive, um, confidence back. I just, I never got it back. And, you know, that's just the way it kind of unfolded. And that's partly because the players are so good, like we talked about. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just, it's just funny where, how that changes for, you know, in over the course of a career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's opportunity involved in that too, right? I mean, the guys you're playing with, you know, when you're on the ice, what you're expected of doing when you're on the ice, you know, like the, there's a lot of things that go into whether you're going to be able to make a play or even to have a two on one to make a play. Right. Or whether you're trying to beat that guy at the blue line. So, I mean, I, yeah. I get that aspect a lot, you know, uh, because being able to do it is one thing, being able to do it and have the opportunity where someone actually wants you to do it. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's yeah. completely another, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you only had like a year in, like it looks like a, you know, like kind of a year in the minors, right? Like, three quarters of a year in the minors and then 
and then you were off. I mean, like that's that's yep. really impressive in and of itself too. So whatever you were doing down there, even though it wasn't, you know, filling the net full of full of goals, it was was being noticed. You you were being really effective in the AHL. Was that in that like physical, physical <clears throat> hit and forecheck type type player? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It was it was like what made me successful, you know, achieving that, you know, getting into the next levels earlier in my career was the same thing. And um, <clears throat> I actually remember I was in Abbotsford the one game and I, I used to call it the double homicide where I would I hit a guy so hard and put him out at center and then someone jumped me and then I beat him up. And that happened luckily in Abbotsford with all the brass around. I got called up, I think, three days later. Right. Um, so a little bit of its timing and you know for me it a lot of that was my first year was the year that we went to the cup final right so um which is also um a cool story i almost played in game seven against boston Vigneault came in um because we were black ace and like so i would got sent back down for the playoffs in manitoba we got bounced the second round <clears throat> and then you know five or six of us or whatever came up for black aces um and he comes into the room. I can't remember who was hurt, but someone couldn't play for game seven. And so he comes in and talked to me and it was Alexander Balduk, who is a centerman. He's like, one of you guys are playing tomorrow. So be ready. And we looked at each other. We're like, holy shit. Like we're right. going to play game seven. And he ended up going in. I, he was a centerman. I think that's probably why I probably would have played like two minutes, but who cares? Um, no kidding. That would have been ridiculous. But, but anyways, the consensus was, is that we got pushed around, right? That Boston, bullied us and pushed us around so that really set me up in terms of like you need sometimes you need a bit of luck and timing with everything and yep. the timing was really good because I had a you know a really strong camp and I actually ended up one punching this guy from the Sharks in camp and uh, I had a couple big hits that game and I knew I'm like they brought in like Todd Fedorik, like a bunch of these heavyweight dudes. Like I think there was like five or six of us competing for two jobs on that fourth line. And then after that game, I'm like, I, I got, I knew I got it. Um, so That's yeah, it, was pretty, cool. it was pretty, it was pretty cool timing for that. Yeah. Raf is there. Yeah, Raf, yeah, I, I played with him. Uh, I played with him in uh, Bridgeport for the Sound Tigers. And that was, I think he oh, yeah. either was a rookie or a second year. And, uh, geez, you yeah, mean, say what you will guy. about Rafi, and I don't know what you thought of him as a guy, but, uh, or, or his hits for that matter. But he, you knew at the NHL level when he was on the ice, like the other oh, team, yeah, knew, for sure. Yeah. And, and no, that I, was that statement that you were talking about. You mean, like, you need those guys in the playoffs, man, like 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah, you do. He, I, I love Raf. Like, he lives in a bit of a, in his own world sometimes with his, some of his mannerisms, which, but that just makes him who he is. Like, I, I actually love Raph. I've met up with him like a few times through different alumni stuff and I've hung out with him. And, um, but yeah, he really brings it. Like, I don't think he'd be in the league for long nowadays, but, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, even then, right. He was like, he well, had you, a look how much space he created for guys in that series and himself, like, or in the playoffs that year. Yeah. Um, he's a good player and, and yeah, you definitely knew when he was on the ice, like you said. He could hit. Could you relate to him? Like he, he was one of those guys too. Like he was, he was definitely stocky. Obviously, you know, I mean, he was two hundred plus, but not a big guy. Uh, yeah. God, could he? Could he throw his weight around in a way that would like just explode guys? Um, oh yeah. 
what, what, what do you think it was with him or, or even with yourself? Is it lower body strength? You mentioned angles earlier. Like what, what is, is the art of the hit? Uh, to be honest, I think most of it is in your head because you'll see most guys don't hit through someone. They'll like, they'll slow down where it's like Marty said about that hit in salmon arm. Like I got no business knocking down a guy that's six, five and 250 pounds, but like physics may defy that a little bit, but like, I just, I don't know. Like part of that was because I was so good at it growing up and I had practiced it a lot, but I just knew like, if you're coming at me, like there's absolutely no way you're going to knock me over. Like it's just not going to happen. And so that may sound a little quirky, but it's, it's true. And I think I do have, like, I had a really strong lower body. I was going to say I do, but I've lost all my weight. So I don't anymore. (laughs) But (laughs) um, yeah, if you were to ask me now, if you hit me on the ice, you might get me, but um, (laughs) yeah, I think that was part of it. And just having that strong base and, and hitting through uh, because you'll see if a lot, if you slow up and you like, you're going to hit someone, but then it's like you peel back a little bit. Yeah. It's not going to have the same effect. So um, any, any big takeaways from your time, in the NHL, like any, any guys that, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, playing with Matt Sundin or being on his line, like that was just sort of some impactful moments. Like, was there anyone that from a mentorship side or even from an exposure side that it was, it was pretty lasting, you know, that, that memory. Yeah. I don't know if I would say as much like mentorship. I, I'm just was really lucky to play in two like amazing cities and teams and like the players that I got to play with was, it's funny because sometimes you think back and you're like, I wonder if I went to a worse team, maybe I'd get a little more opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Um, like I played on the teams every year were, were awesome. Like we won the president's trophy in Vancouver, Washington was, you know, we always had a strong team. They're always strong. Um, and just the players, like I got to play with Hank and Danny and Vancouver and like guys like Manny Malhotra, like great, great guys that you, you know, you, in terms of mentorship, see what these guys do on a day-to-day basis as well. Um, and then in Washington, you know, you, like playing with Ovi and Backstrom, it like every day was like an eye opener. Like you had to pinch yourself. Sometimes you're like, I can't believe like I'm playing with these guys. Sometimes right. you'd see what they do in like, not even games, but just on the day to day, like what they're doing, practicing, watching Ovi take one timers from, from backy after practice. It's just like, it's, it's crazy. So I, I was really lucky to, to play with those teams and those guys. That's, that's what I take from it. Most of it or right. uh, mostly is just how cool it was to, to play with some of those guys. Yeah. As you, anything like, you, from, uh, Ovi, I've never, I've never actually interviewed anyone that's been in his, in his world on a personal day to day basis, kind of to see how he operates and what his, you know, what his standard is, is he, I mean, to be as successful as he is, he's obviously a freak in nature a bit, but I hate when people put that on like that tag on somebody, right? Like that. He's just different than everybody else. Like I, I assume he must be working a little different than everyone else too. And must be, must be maintaining that edge that he has. Uh, you know, like you said, you mentioned the one-timers with Backstrom. You mean yeah. some guys wouldn't be doing that after scoring 50 for seven years in a row, right? Like, but he was out there doing it. Anything else that he would do that would kind of set him apart? 
I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. I think he is a freak of nature. So I think yeah. you can, I think you can label him with that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the Russians are all like a little bit quirky and different. Like, you know, like they, they're sort of like a bit clicky and they have their own little posse that always follows them around, which I always thought was funny. Yeah. Um, you have his buddy and I'm like, who's this guy again? Like he's on the road, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, he works at it just like, um, but I wouldn't say like he works at it necessarily more than other guys. Like right. he works on like what makes him successful. Um, but he's had to add other layers to his game as you've seen, like over the years now too, right. In terms of like, even like the net front stuff, like he's always going to score his goals from his, his spot there, which he still practice, but, um, he's had to add like that, some stuff, like he's gotten better around the net and stuff like that, but. Um, well, he's just so ball. solid too. I mean, he can he can oh, hit, which yeah. I like about him, right? And I just was curious about him in the weight room. He must be he. I assume he's strong as an ox. I mean, he looks like yeah. he is on the ice. He's naturally just strong. I think that's where like the freak of of nature part comes in because he is naturally really strong. I don't know what they list him at online, like two thirty. Like that's like not he's way more than that like he's a oh, big, yeah. he's a big boy like i bet well he might be some smaller now but i wouldn't be surprised if he's 240 245 like he's not wow. that much taller than i am he's just a strong strong guy right legs um, and ass yeah so yeah that's crazy yeah that's wild um, man we'll play with uh i mean well obviously always going to be a hall of famer i mean baxter maybe too um hank and yeah and dan daniel you never know um oh that's i think some, so yeah, that's some pretty good, pretty good company to be keeping there, and to uh, to be able to to share to share a locker room with there for the four years. Yeah, um, it was super cool. We didn't even get into your neck injury, which which is another piece of your of your of your puzzle. But I mean, I think I think we'll let you go. Uh, you've been awesome, uh, Aaron. Thanks for sharing your time. Uh, I when you cut off there, I just sort of I, I was just talking about. You I mean so many things that your story represents are just really powerful and inspiring. And I know you've probably heard that before, but thanks for sharing it with us today and sharing it with, with my listeners here on up my hockey. And um, is there anything that you're up to now that you'd like want to pass along where people can follow you or, or get to know you or on social media or otherwise? I mean, I'm not too active on social media, but uh, no, I've done taken on a few other projects since retirement. I worked, well, I did wealth management for a couple of years, uh, left that about a year ago. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, taking on a couple other projects that I'm, that I'm kind of working on. And I worked with a charity called hockey gives blood, which is, um, I'm sure maybe some of the listeners have heard of where, you know, we're just advocating for, you know, blood donations within the hockey community. Cause we know, you know, the hockey world is a strong platform. It's a tight, tight community. So we're making a difference, um, through that, which has been great. So I work with them. How do we support that? That is something that I just actually talked with my kids about the other day is donating blood and that I never have yeah. and I was always curious about doing it. How, how would someone support support what you're involved in there? Well, I'd say the best way is just to go check out the website, hockeygivesblood.ca. Um, you'll see all the info on there. But you, yeah, you can just walk into a blood clinic, donate blood. A lot of people, like myself included, are, are before I got involved, they're a little bit naive in terms of they think there's just an endless blood supply Right. And they think, you know, once they donate it, you know, it stays on the shelf like that gets used quick because there's always a shortage and and people need a lot of blood. And I was actually that's part of the reason I got involved was 
they came to me pretty early and because I was given blood through my, uh, my skin graft operation. Right. Um, so, you know, it's hit close home to, for me and just obviously through hockey, it's a great way to stay involved in the game. Like I, you know, we do different events. Uh, the WHL is like our primary or sorry, the CHL is our primary partnership with our player ambassador program, which has been huge for us in terms of creating awareness. So, um, yeah, I would say, um, check us out on social media, Hockey Gives Blood, or go on the website, hockeygivesblood.ca, and there's a bunch of information on how to donate blood, how to donate stem cells, or sorry, um, join the registry for stem cells, and and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, the blood, uh, like you say, that's a a really powerful way to support others who are in in some, in need, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. We take take for granted, and and that is a great way to to give back. So thanks for being involved in that. Thanks for everybody who tuned in today to watch live here on Facebook, in the parent group, and otherwise, and those who participated. And most of all, thanks to you, Aaron, for for sharing your your morning with us and, and sharing your story. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Cheers. Thank you so much for staying with us today. And that was a story, wasn't it? To hear of someone go from playing house hockey in a small town at 14 years old to end up wearing the jersey of an NHL team and skating with the likes of Alex Ovechkin and the Sedin brothers is pretty remarkable, to say the least. And what I love about Aaron's story is that it is the power of possibility. It is the exact thing that I speak about when I talk about belief system and my core four belief system that I work with my clients on, which I talk about and teach at upmyhockey.com. And that is our ability to choose what circumstances mean. And for Aaron, he chose to believe that being burnt wasn't a career ending situation. He chose to believe that there was opportunity there and he used it to build confidence, to build resilience, to overcome and to establish himself as somebody that can do anything. And that is like crazy because not everybody makes that decision. There are people that will get lost in the pain he was experiencing. There are people that will get lost in hearing people tell them what they can't or won't be able to do. But he chose a different option and he chose to follow a different path and he chose to dig in where maybe others won't. And that turned out to be one of the greatest gifts he could have ever been given. The sick thing of being burnt, something that no human being would want to experience, no human being would want another human being to experience. But that turned out to be, like he said, if he wouldn't, if that wouldn't have happened, he would have never made it to the NHL. He probably would have never got that option to go to Brown University. Uh, He would never have built that mental mindset muscle to be able to see himself one day in an NHL jersey. And he did all that. So for all those of you out there who have gone through something right now, we always try and have a takeaway here at Up My Hockey. And I mean, these takeaways apply obviously outside of hockey. Aaron was able to use this in the sport of hockey and he's able to use it now in his life. But adversity means what you want it to mean. Remember that you have a choice. It can be a reason for you to stand up. It can be a reason for you to be courageous and brave, a reason for you to overcome or it can be a defining moment and you can be a victim 
and you can have the setback and it can be a reason for you not to do something. But remember that it is your choice that is on you. And I think when we realize that we then be can become empowered and we can take ownership and we can, we can hold our head up high and fight the good fight. Uh, like Churchill said in his man in the arena speech, it's better to be in the arena than be on the sidelines. So Aaron, thank you so much for sharing that with me today. I hope you guys got a lot from this and for any young hockey players out there, you know, realize you can get better. You can improve whatever you want. Uh, when you pride intention to something uh, that you're not good at, you will improve. That's the way the brain works. That's the way it functions. It responds to challenge. It responds to adversity. You just have to stick with it. You have to be committed and you have to put in the time. So lots of good stuff there today. Thank you so much again for being here. And uh, as always, play hard and keep your head up.